Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about empowered homes, strategies for living with neurodiversity is Dr. Emily Riley. Dr. Riley is the founder and CEO of Purposefully Home, located in Scottsdale, Arizona. She practices as an occupational therapist and provides functional living consultation to clients to improve the way the home space enhances the resident's lifestyle. Integrating skills as an occupational therapist and certified home modification professional, Dr. Riley has helped create solutions to enhance the way families maintain their daily roles, routines, and interests. Many people wish to remain in their home for as long as possible, and that is the goal for each client served. Purposefully Home is a boutique consulting agency providing education, advocacy, and limitless potential to each client, caregiver, and community member served. How are you doing today, Dr. Riley? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here and yes. enjoying the nice, cool weather, which we kind of talked about yeah, <laughs> right before. Now, now you're now you're just rubbing it in. That's just not nice. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good to have you back. So before we get started, Dr. Riley, for those that are joining us today, if you have any questions, uh, type those questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So Dr. Riley, let's get started. Empowered Homes, Strategies for Living with, with Neurodiversities. Yes, let's get to it. So just a quick inter introduction, although that um, intro that Jason did was excellent. I'm originally from upstate New York and I've moved out here to the desert um, about 10, just under 10 years ago and working in skilled nursing facilities, acute care, and now in the community, I have had the opportunity to really see kind of that whole spectrum of care. And that's what really pushed me to create Purposefully Home because I did see how important returning home was for families and having their loved one home is always where we feel more comfortable, we feel safer. And so Purposefully Home was developed three years ago and it's just been so fun. It's freeing for me as a clinician because we have the creativity and the freedom to actually work individually with the clients. Um, and occupational therapy is such a dynamic profession, so it's been a lot of fun. Um, I am a dog mom and really just have enjoyed being out in the desert, hiking, running. Um, so that is just a very quick glimpse of me. So today we will be highlighting um, just these three objectives, describing intuitive design for neurocognitive differences. It's okay if you have no idea what that means, we'll go over it. Um, learn how the home environment affects function and behavior. And identify three concepts to support everyday participation at home. So uh, a lot of people may think this is a little bit of a unique topic um, or maybe a little unfamiliar with it, but going into working with adults, children, families in their homes, it's really amazing how important our environment is on how we're able to function. A lot of individuals and families that I've worked with really compensate and they don't realize how much they are missing out on their everyday lives. Um, because their home environment isn't supporting their lifestyle. It doesn't support their whole family. 
Um, so one thing that I've noticed is we always plan for how many kids we're going to have. We need to have three bedrooms because we have one kid and we want to have a guest room and then our own room. Um, we want to have a backyard for the kids to play and for our pets to run around. We want to have a big open kitchen because we want to host family gatherings. But we don't always think about the extra details. Um, so looking at neurocognitive differences and how we're able to interact because we all aren't the same, which I'm sure is surprising to you. Um, so we all have different needs, but all living under the same roof, how do we get a space to support each individual? And that's really the area of interest that I've, that I've found myself in. And it's been a lot of fun to support, support that. So what is neurodiversity? Neurodiversity is a term that was coined in 1990 by Judy Singer. She's a sociologist that actually has autism spectrum disorder. And of course, there is a lot of complexities with uh, autism and there's a lot of controversy. But basically, it's kind of a concept to recognize the positive differences um, of people that are under this umbrella term. Um, it's a way to recognize that atypical development of cognition. And so we realize that neurodiversity is those differences in the brain, but there can be very different views of what that looks like. So there are people that suffer really what we consider low level function, um, and they are the people that have more behaviors, um, maybe are not able to communicate, and they really do require a great deal more support and assistance by a caregiver whether that's a paid caregiver or a family member. But also, those higher level functioning people that are able to live on their own or with maybe less, um, less physical support, just more supervision. And so by recognizing neurodiversity as kind of this umbrella term and recognizing there is a way to design your home, decorate your home, and create a home space that is going to empower both types of individuals. Um, and to highlight, neurodiversities includes not only autism and Asperger's, but it can also incorporate people that are living with attention deficit hyper, <laughs> ADHD. <laughs> I didn't have enough coffee this morning. <laughs> um, dyslexia, dyscalculia, um, and so some of those other less common terms that people still live with and deal with every day. So, of course, there is a broad spectrum of symptoms that people live with and experience every single day um, that if they are on the autism spectrum disorder um, or if they have Asperger's or any other of those combination. Sometimes people, you know, kind of have a combination of things, but typically people are having difficulty with concentration, having difficulty processing information, which is going to allow them to focus on a task. It's going to allow them to, you know, wake up in the day and complete a morning routine and be able to get to work on time or participate in school. 
Um, so when you're not able to concentrate, you may lack those skills needed to perform those activities of daily living. Um, showering, getting into um, the kitchen to be able to make a meal, paying bills, everything that requires us to have some semblance of organization sequencing to execute a task. Other symptoms people suffer is that sensitivity to sounds, light, and touch. And our entire world is based on things that require our brain and our body to process this information. It allows us to know if we need to turn a light on or a light off. It allows us to know if the water is too hot or too cold. And when there are these sensitivities or hypersensitivities, it can cause that reaction. And it can often be what we consider a negative reaction. And so if our environment isn't designed to support that, then every single day, every single moment of this individual and really this family's life is going to be impaired. Mealtime can be really difficult because the textures of foods, um, you know, bath time can be challenging because maybe the text, the feeling of that water, the hot, the cold. Um, and so if you are living with this or experiencing this with a loved one, you are very familiar with how this can really disrupt the, the sequence of the day. And then limited socialization. A lot of the families that I work with, they have compensated and in order to just get by in a day, they've created this safe space, which is so important and so wonderful because it allows that individual to go to their bedroom, typically is the room that they've chosen. Um, and it's created just for them. It has all of their you know, comforts, it has all of their tools to allow them to you know, feel calm, kind of regulate and have that support. But what happens because they don't naturally have these, um, these skills to be able to engage with other people, socialization, you do that with your family, you do that with yourself, you do that with friends, coworkers, a whole host of people. So when you're limiting that and kind of isolating that, of course, some people thrive in that and not everyone has to be around everybody all the time. So it can kind of be a mix. Some people recognize when they've had enough and they can excuse themselves and other people really thrive in social environments. So finding a way to create your home environment, you know, we spend time watching TV in the living room. We spend time at the dining room table for meals, um, in the backyard having barbecues. And if you're having that family member that is really struggling, if we can kind of modify and adapt the entire home, then you're still inviting them to participate and they're still a part of that group. And then decreased safety. Um, that can be a really challenging one because it can cause people to run out into the street if they're overwhelmed and running out the front door. It can cause people to be unaware of their cooking, maybe leaving the stove too hot. Um, not being safe to be left alone, maybe having a monitor at night for sleeping. So not really having that safety awareness is a big concern. So maybe recognizing the information, um, recognizing what areas is concerning to you and then finding ways to create a more safe environment, whether it's adjusting the locks, 
putting automatic timers technology is really incredible these days um, with some auto shutoffs and sensor lights. So just take a minute. Um, minimizing stress is a huge one. A lot of family caregivers, a lot of individuals living um, with even you know attention deficit disorder, uh, they struggle every day. It really is a big effort to get up to ask, participate in the things that they need to. So it can really elevate stress because there's that fear of failure or just that overwhelm of having to figure out how to act and engage. So you can just take, you know, 30 seconds, take a deep breath, and think about the types of stress behaviors that you and your loved one are currently experiencing. And with that stress, how much of that is related to things that are occurring in the home? Of course, with COVID, there's probably a lot that's occurring within the home, especially with the disruption to that consistent routine. So what are some of the strategies that you currently tried that you can help to improve the function? So people tried to minimize clutter, tried to reorganize the space. Um, I know a family that was really struggling with their child because school is school. That's where you go and you learn, you take the bus and you come home. And so to make the guest room or the den or the bedroom, um, the new school space was really disruptive and causing a great deal of stress um, throughout the whole home. So having somebody go to the school or go to the store and purchase all the things, making bulletin boards and really making it look like a classroom was a time investment and a financial investment, but now it alleviated that stress and allowed that child to be more successful in the way school went this year. So there is a hierarchy of our environment, which a lot of times we don't really recognize. And this is our home environment. Anytime that I'm talking about the environment uh, as an occupational therapist, I'm talking about the space around the individual. And so for today's purposes, we're talking about the home. Um, so there is our physical environment, which is the tools and the objects within the home. So the rooms of the home, the technology, you know, the different appliances in the home, and the different things that we're utilizing and interacting with the bed, you know, to go to sleep, the bathroom for personal hygiene needs. Uh, and then tasks, that's our actual participation and engagement in those daily routines. So what role are we playing when we're managing waking up? You know, do we have or is a parent or caregiver coming in and waking up the individual? Are they getting up on their own and able to start their day through the shower, getting dressed, starting list? whatever that looks like to you. So how much role are you playing and how much role is the individual playing in those tasks? And what can we do to automate that process? Socialization, we kind of talked about some of these um, already, that groups and organizations, family, friends, neighbors, um, the volunteer, whatever it is that engages us with the community around us. 
And then, of course, culture. So a lot of struggles that uh, families face and sometimes clinicians or providers can experience is being able to mesh what the cultural values are and the home dynamics. So things that may not be functioning or working may be a result of that um, cultural beliefs. And so it's not a matter of changing that, but it's a matter of finding ways to incorporate that. And that's what's really great about finding um, providers and clinicians such as occupational therapists, because they're utilizing that holistic approach to care. And so when you're looking at building a home or custom building a home or purchasing a home, things can be challenging because realtors in their special training um, aren't taking that into consideration. They are looking for the actual structural and the location and the demographic of what it is you're looking for in your home. Home builders, the same thing. They maybe have these special certifications for accessibility, but what they're doing is incorporating that accessibility factor um, and maybe those special features that you want to have, um, you know, with the lighting or the types of tile that you're building but they are not trained in looking at how the actual function and the dynamic of your family is going to happen in that space. And so when we're not really considering that in our environment, that can really cause some disruption too. So we all love the comfort of home now more than ever. Um, I know home projects have skyrocketed. People want to make their space more comfortable, more functional. Um, and so what we're recognizing with all of these changes due to COVID is that our environment can enhance or it can restrict a, a person's participation. And this can be a typical or atypical uh, development. It can be young, it can be old. And what we're realizing is you know, we can't function for working from home or school from home if we don't have internet. We can't function if our stove isn't hooked up. We can't function if our refrigerator dies and we don't replace it. Our food is gonna go spoiled. And so those types of things can make things easier or can make things a bit harder. And those are just some simple, you know, examples. The decor, the layout, and the fixtures that we choose can actually impact abilities and our mood, which can often result in behavioral changes as well. And so what I like to talk with my clients about is it's functional, it's intuitive, and it's timeless. So when we are purchasing a home, uh, decorating a home, maybe have a Pinterest board or house, um, and you're looking at the latest trends because you wanna make sure that you're not having that old subway tile that's teal or pink um, from you know several years ago. You wanna have something that's more up to date, but you wanna make sure that it's functional not only for you, but for all the people living there. So the type of decor that you choose, although you want it to be trendy, you wanna be aware of how it's going to be presented within the home. Because if the choices you're making are going to kind of cause distress because of the color, because of the glare, um, it can cause challenges, you know, in everyday function. And then the fixtures. So whether you're using motion lights or maybe you're installing dimmer switches, things 
where are they located in the room? Are they easy to find? So functional is we all need to use it. Young or old, anybody can use it pretty easily is intuitive, something that doesn't require a lot of training. So allowing everybody. So if you have that loved one with what we consider low functioning, needing more assistance from a caregiver, um, if we're able to incorporate some of these different strategies, it can empower them to participate just a little bit more. And by manipulating the environment, you can actually help change and control some of the behaviors of the person living with neurodiversity. So by adjusting maybe the location of where some of the furniture is, is placed or how you're organizing, you know, when we walk into the house, we tend to keep our keys in the same space. You know, maybe you have your, your work bag or what, your purse, whatever, your wallet. You keep everything relatively in the same space so that you're not running all over trying to find it. And so by maintaining that consistent structure can help with that routine and consistency and participation. And many of you, um, if you are living with this uh, for yourself or a family member, they're telling you. Maybe they're not communicating that with you directly, but they are going through and telling you in some sort of behavior, maybe they're throwing things or getting really upset and agitated. So they're showing you that what you're doing in that particular moment isn't working. So manipulating the environment, manipulating the how you're doing it can help improve um, everybody's participation. And ultimately, by creating a comfortable home, by creating a functional home, you can really minimize that transition because a lot of people, their alternative that they're trying to avoid is transitioning their loved one into another location, whether it is a group home, an assisted living, um, kind of a long-term placement, and they're finding that there really isn't something that's going to fit their needs. And by doing that, as a last resort, there's a lot of guilt, and not that it's wrong. You want what's best for your family, what's best for the individual to keep them safe and happy. But it, there can be that transition period, which can be really emotionally dev devastating. Um, and so by helping kind of ease and eliminate some of that stress, creating the environment at home or easing that transition slowly and creating that new space. So it really is a pretty big process. So this is just kind of an example of some things that can be inhibiting to behavior and um, participation and then things that tend to enrich and enhance a person's ability to participate. So overstimulating environments, you maybe when you walk into the, the bedroom and there is just clothes and chaos everywhere, you may find that overstimulating. Whereas other people, may, it doesn't really bother them. Dishes in the sink can be overstimulating. Um, but for somebody that's experiencing um, neurodiversity, they may be really you know, overstimulated by the pen being on the left instead of the right. It can just be something so minute. Um, bright lights, loud sounds, uh, just kind of busy and hectic. And that can really cause isolation. Um, and that can be inhibiting, inhibiting to that growth and development. And just boredom. They're not being challenged and engaged enough. So we want to find ways to enhance the lifestyle by making sensory friendly environments, 
calming spaces, using natural, um, natural light and kind of natural things, adding plants um, can be a way to incorporate uh, nature. Finding different ways to engage that aren't, um, aren't the way you want them to engage, but are ways that they can comfortably and confidently engage the way that they find um, important. Safe and then structure. A lot of that structure and routine can really um, enhance that engagement and improve the quality of life. So these are just some things you want to think about. Um, the sensory system, and we won't kind of go through exactly how they all process, but the vestibular system is just kind of um, our balance, how we're able to get around throughout the space. Our visual system, olfactory is sense of smell and taste, sense, uh, sensory, that, that should say tactile. Um, so what we're feeling and then auditory, what we are hearing. And in the home, we can experience that all the time. And so by identifying what the hypersensitivities are and maybe some of those things that don't really bother them. I mean, I have a clock in my kitchen and when it's quiet, I can just hear it tick, tick, tick. And that kind of sets me off. And most people don't recognize that. Uh, the refrigerator turning on and off or the ice machine, those types of things, if you have somebody living in your home with these, um, you know, sensitivities or these challenges processing, it's going to affect what you're choosing to um, to purchase and what you're choosing to to buy and to add in. And a lot of times, families don't think of it until it's too late. Then they're trying to go back and reinvest in how do we, you know, have the sound more controlled and. You know, if we have all these tile and hardwood floors throughout the house, there's a lot of echo. Maybe we should install carpet or maybe we should have chosen, you know, heavier curtains um, or put in those those light switches. Maybe we didn't need ceiling fans because it causes that constant sound. Um, so being mindful of where you're placing those appliances and those features in the home. Lighting matters. So this is just kind of um, enhancing natural light. So a lot of windows, being able to control the blinds and the curtains. Um, now they've, they've improved the light bulbs so much that some of these aren't as um, common, but flickering lights. So there are some of those light bulbs, you know, they just have that littlest bit of flicker. Maybe if you go over to grandma and grandpa's house, they still have some of those. Um, the noise, if you go more in public spaces, but there are, if you have a workshop and you kind of have those big um, bright lights, they have that constant hum. Um, and so we mentioned installing dimmer switches and then minimizing glare. So glare can happen a lot of times in bathrooms, in the kitchens, um, where people do have the, the bright lights, but they also have that real shiny tile. Um, and so that can cause some some disruption as well. So this just kind of an overview considering the color palette. Bright colors can be considered really loud. If you think about fast food chains, which is often a common example, um, you know, it's bright, it's loud, they have really bright colors. Red can be really triggering. Um, so choosing more neutral colors to promote that sense of calm and safety, um, even like those cooler colors, like in the blue family. 
Um, and then just being mindful of textures. You can see behind me, this curtain is pretty loud um, considering it's got a lot going on. So maybe that wouldn't be a great choice um, when considering a sensory friendly environment. Um, so being mindful of the types of curtains that you're using, the types of patterns that are on there, rugs, furniture, um, yes, it might be your favorite chair, but maybe you can get a cover for it uh, to minimize, you know, whatever could be that trigger. So having a sensory, um, a sensory profile done, which is something that occupational therapists can do, is a really good way to identify, you know, what helps somebody and what can really trigger somebody. Um, so, and then the accessories that you're using. So we all like knickknacks. We all like you know, decorations, but some of that can be um, disruptive. So these are just some examples. In this uh, natural lighting, you can actually see there is a lot of bright light. There's neutral colors, but you can actually see on the floor, there's that glare. So those are the types of things. Everybody likes to match. You know, you want white tile, white floors, white, um, you know, white things, but what can you add and what can you adapt to minimize some of that glare and actually enhance the participation? And then soothing sounds, so finding what is going to be calming throughout the home um, and offering that as options. Um, and then familiar faces, and along with that kind of goes with that structure and that routine, really keeping that some people prefer and have more success when things are familiar. So just being mindful of that. And if things do have to change, which our whole life is dynamic and flexible and fluid, um, then trying to ease that transition as much as possible um, by educating and communicating with the other people that are involved that may be able to carry out that as close to what you're doing as possible. Um, I was going to share, but I didn't get a chance to upload it, calming scenery. So there is such great value when you can't get outside and can't get out hiking and traveling um, to incorporate different, different things that people enjoy. So if people do enjoy being outside, um, whether you're looking at books, but Amazon um, has really great shows that you can put on and it has just background where it's hiking through the wilderness or um, riding on a train. So some of those things can be really calming just to watch. Um, and recently in a client's home, I was able to install um, these vinyl sheets. You put it on the wall and it takes a lot of time and attention, um, but we did it of Horseshoe Bend here in Arizona. And we created this outdoor room because they really enjoy hiking, camping. And it basically is a room in their home that looks like um, one of those outdoor stores. I won't name any, but if you've gone to like that outdoor fishing, hunting um, type of store to get backpacks or camping gear, um, this room in their house makes them so happy and we can set up camping chairs and they can sit and look at Horseshoe Bend and it's amazing. They find it very calming. Um, and so there are different, very creative ways to incorporate um, some of that calming scenery, some of that outdoor space without actually having to go. <laughs> so these are just some different um, 
kind of an overview. You want to find things that are meaningful to the family, to your culture, to your values, and to the individual. Of course, setting things up for success will allow us to all be happier, safer, more productive, um, emphasizing and focusing on the strengths of the individual and the family, and being able to explore new hobbies and interests to incorporate into the space. And of course, offering choices. We all like to have an opportunity to make our own choices. Um, and lastly, here is just some quick tips to allow you to get started. Um, sensory spaces in the home beyond the bedroom, because a lot of people do start in the bedroom, but now it's time to think about that whole space. So clearing the clutter. And what I like about all of these tips is it's the functional piece and it's the intuitive piece and it's timeless, which means every single person can benefit whether you are um, living with a neurodiversity or not. We can all live to clear some clutter. Um, increased natural lighting, spending some time outside, opening up the windows. Smart technology is everywhere and I don't just mean a smartphone. What I'm talking about is being mindful of the appliances you're choosing, the type of refrigerator, the type of sinks, the type of washer and dryer, because uh, it can allow that individual um, to participate in some tasks that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. So by being mindful of what it is you're choosing when you're purchasing, of course, there are financial restrictions. I get that. Um, but really doing some homework, not only in if it's going to fit in the space, but how can everybody in the home use that that piece of equipment? And then, of course, there's like I was mentioning, some of those auto timers, they have auto shutoffs for the stove. They have temperature checks for water to avoid burns. Um, so there are other um, adaptive tools and technologies that can enhance participation as well. Making it meaningful is an occupational therapist's mission and motto. Um, and then lastly, stimulating the senses. So that can either be stimulating to enhance them or just being mindful what is going to overstimulate so, so that you can really have that balance. So if you have any questions or want more details, I'm happy to share um, resor more resources um, or kind of um, provide you kind of a handout little overview, I'm happy to send that your way. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Riley. We have a couple of questions here. Uh, you had mentioned this is quite a bit. So somebody asked, if they have a loved one that is very happy in their room, what do you recommend they do as far as potentially disrupting the rest of the house? Yeah, so of course, uh, if things are working within your home and they are happy, then you don't want to force them out. But okay. you can take aspects of the room. What is it that really makes them happy? You know, is it a, a stuffed animal? Is it the color or the lighting? Um, and is there another space in the living room where you can just incorporate aspects of that? So maybe that does mean buying a double of a few things. Um, you know, maybe similar curtains or tapestries, um, similar carpet, um, or if there's an activity that they really enjoy doing in the room, um, is there a corner in another space that you can either have a secondary or can you slowly transition? That's where those transitions are really important. 
um, and kind of slowly incorporate that activity in another space. So yeah, definitely don't disrupt that, but it could take, you know, a few weeks, maybe even a, you know, a month or so, but is there a way to incorporate something that they enjoy that they're doing in that space and replicating it or duplicating it in that other space and inviting them to that new space? Um, last question, Dr. Riley. Technology. So you had mentioned automatic timers, uh, sensor lights. What else is out there that kind of excites you as an occupational therapist um, in, in the home modification uh, field? Yeah, so uh, creating sensory spaces is just so fun. Um, and there is technology just with the lights now that they have. Um, the they have like rope lights which you know we're kind of familiar with but they just have all these things where they change colors and they can it's like modern day um oh i can't think like the the lava lamp it's kind of like modern yeah. day lava lamps <laughs> so where but it, they create them and it's really cool because they have these lamps that are you can if you can have them in different spaces. So it changes color, but that's kind of like a mood lamp. So you buy two and in one room. So if the person is kind of having like separation anxiety or something, you each have the same one and it'll change colors. Like it's kind of communicating, which is really cool. Um, so kind of so just some of those calming spaces is really great. But, um, as for like appliances and stuff, I really love the kitchen gadgets because cooking is just such a fun way to explore and to improve. Um, and so those automatic shutoffs for the stove and the refrigerators now, I think Samsung created this um, refrigerator where it has the screen so you can play music, you can order your groceries. Mm. Um, and so that it really invites more people at first, you know, for myself, I have to admit, even as an OT, I was kind of like, oh, that seems a really kind of ridiculous. But once I started learning more about it, I was like, wow, I've actually been able to really empower clients by by purchasing um, that. And then lastly, in the kitchen, they have this new I can't remember if it's Moen. Um, they have this new faucet that you can talk to. And so maybe somebody that has a little more challenge turning on the faucet or getting near the water, they're now able to talk to it and it'll tell it to fill up the cup or fill up. So for somebody that has some of these challenges facing their fears, um, it allows them to do it in a safe way, which has been really, really cool and unexpected. Very good. Well, Dr. Riley, how can people find you? So they can find me at purposefullyhome.com that has our information and um, a way like a contact me button where you can send an email. It goes directly to me. And I am on Facebook primarily at Purposefully Home. Um, our page is pretty active. And Emily at purposefullyhome.com if you want to just email me directly. Um, I think those are probably the best three ways to do so. Uh, what was the website again? It's, oops, sorry, purposefullyhome.com. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Riley. So uh, this webinar uh, will go on to the Knowledgeable Aging YouTube page. So uh, when you go on YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging. I encourage you to subscribe. We have three live webinars every week. 
This and all of our webinars will be converted to a podcast. Um, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Tunes, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.